parting waters, making a way for me. It's very striking to hear that moving mountains that I don't even see. That leads us right into where God will have us today in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. There's an old song that Ruth Jones penned the lyrics to that said, In times like these, you need a Savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. In times like these, Hebrews 12, 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about, encircled with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. May I say today, none of us here today, no matter the age, have ever seen times like these. America has literally and absolutely gone mad. It began in the middle of the 20th century. Prayer was banned from schools. A decade later, mothers were given the right to end the life of their unborn children. And most recently, our Supreme Court has ruled that homosexuality is a perfectly normal lifestyle and anyone can marry anyone and is progressing to anything. Since that latest horrific Supreme Court ruling, we're seeing the LGBT community push their agenda with the full support of liberal judges and spineless politicians. But the press, oh, that wonderful press, leftist politicians, Hollywood and academia are exploding in rage and vitriol when we stand up for what God's Word says. How dare we say that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. How dare we say that a man should only marry a woman and vice versa? Church, this world has gone mad. So we must look to God's word for guidance in times like these. So many other things. With one group that hates the other. And this one against that one and that one against the other. And it's just nothing but rage. It seems like everywhere we go, 
And I'll be honest with you, I don't see it very often around here. But may I say I do see it creeping in. I see some leftovers, but I also see it creeping in. We're beginning to buy into what the TV tells us this world is like. We're beginning to buy into what the liberal professors in liberal colleges and fashion editors say is good and what isn't. In times like these, how can we have any peace or joy? I mean, this seems to be a topic that comes up in my, my life every day. Pastor, preacher, brother, coach, Matt. How, what do we do about this? How, what, and you know what? I'm at a loss because I have no answers in and of myself. May I say that there's a lot of days where I don't feel very hopeful. I don't feel very excited about this world. How can we be optimistic about our future for our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren? God's word warns us not to grow discouraged in times like these. Now, I know it feels like I've thrown a wet blanket over it. Let's hear what God's word says. Don't become discouraged. First Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What was that about mountains we may not see? Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart or faint. We must remember that we face many of the same challenges that the first century church faced in their day. The church is in the midst of an immoral, unjust society. Christians, then as now, were seen as freaks and public humil humiliation and torture were not uncommon. Listen, is the day coming where they'll throw us to the lines? Therefore, we must see what God's word has for us. That we would protect us. He would protect us from becoming a casualty of the evil culture in which we live while preserving our hope in Christ. Listen to me, church. We do not and must not conform. Some of you sitting here today have family members that have chosen that which the Bible says is unnatural. Am I telling you to write them off and stop loving them? Am I saying that we are to blow up abortion clinics and burn homosexuals at the stake? I'm here to tell you today, that's what Jesus died for. But not to continue any longer in. We must not send a mixed message that we hate sinners. We hate sin. Because sin destroys, but the Savior delivers. So what do we do? 
Where do we find this preserving hope that is in Christ? First of all, he teaches us that we must exhibit endurance. You see, the first verse of chapter 12, you English teachers, I was always taught that therefore is there for a reason. He's drawing attention. Remember now, when this was written, when whoever, and I believe the Apostle Paul, but regardless, the Holy Spirit inspired this writing, there was not end of chapter 11, start of verse 12. It just continued. And so the writer says, based on what I've just told you, we must endure. Well, what is the therefore, therefore? It ties us to chapter 11. The saints of old did amazing things because they endured through the tough times. Sprinters in racing. Sprinters often start strong but fade after an exhausting run. A great illustration is a man by the name of Demas. One who was serving in the early church age with and around the Apostle Paul. The first time we hear about him is in Colossians. Paul says, Luke and Demas greet you. Later in Philemon, he said, tell Demas I said hello. And he ends his last letter in 2 Timothy by saying, Demas hath forsaken me. Are we enduring as the gospel is enduring? Listen, if your parents are or were saved, gone on to be with the Lord, if you had godly grandparents, they were saved by the same gospel you were or can be. It has not changed. The same God that George Washington made a proclamation, if they prayed to God, is the same God we've prayed to today. It's the same God that split the Red Sea. It's the same God that sent fire down on Mount Carmel. It's the same God that stopped the clouds from rain and then three and a half years later sent rain. It's the same God that walked around in the fire with Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. The same God that protected Daniel from the lions. It's the same God that met Saul on the road to Damascus. The same God that said, this is my beloved son at the baptism and transfiguration with Jesus. Same God. So how do we exhibit endurance? First of all, we can endure or exhibit endurance if we focus on our example. Now, as if to cheer us on, the Bible reminds us of all those who have likewise faced difficulties without giving up. We, we like to quote people. We talk about what our mama taught us, what our daddy taught us. And we read famous quotes of famous men and women throughout the ages. And we're reminded what to do. Coaches love to use co quotes from very famous coaches. A lot of people look up and remember the great coach, Bear Bryant. 
But oftentimes we, we want to remember his national championships at Alabama, but forget that his time beginning at Texas A&M, he didn't win a game. Hard days. Hard days. We quote people like Wooden. We quote Jackson. We quote Edmund Burke. And we quote great People like John Calvin and Martin Luther. And we quote all kinds of people. But God's word gave us a list of true heroes. Look at me, young people. In a world looking for hero, heroes. Let me read you some. Let me read you some. And you go back over chapter 11. Look at these men and women. And then I want you to go do some research and find which one of those if not all of them, but one particular may be your biblical hero. Look at who they are. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, and many of the prophets. What was Enoch famous for? He walked with God. And? And was not for God took him. Now you're pretty special. You're pretty special when you just walk with God and he says, you know what? We're closer to my house than we are to yours. You just come go with me. Enoch walked with God. There's only about four men in the whole Bible, that, especially the Old Testament, that they say walked with God. What was Noah famous for? Noah, you remember him? This guy that did this thing with a boat in the Old Testament? A hundred and twenty years. We say, I just can't wait anymore. I keep waiting on each side to do something. I keep waiting on us to get this ministry started. Or I keep waiting on somebody to meet my needs. And I just can't wait anymore. You've been here two years. You've been here three months. Noah prepared the ark for 120 years. Now, may I remind you, he was pre preparing for something that had never happened. So there was no documentation. There was no precedent. Oh, man, you remember that last flood? Never been a flood because it had never rained. You know what? People I've heard, I heard this week someone around here uh, someone told me they know that said they already preparing going to get them a room in Macon in case Irma comes. Well, you know what? We may think that's crazy, but in one way, we've learned, haven't we? We've learned from Katrina and Andrew and Ivan and Opal and Hugo. We've learned from Matthew and Harvey. I do not find it strange that my first official act as pastor in my last church was to meet with the deacons and call church off because of a hurricane. We moved on Friday, on July the 8th. Beautiful day. Saturday even more beautiful. 
Becky in a full-blown panic. She said, we can't get any renter's insurance. We moved into the parsonage. We can't get any insurance because there's a hurricane in the Gulf. And we went to bed, stars in the sky. We woke up on July 10th to a torrential downpour. And as Forrest Gump would say, and sometimes the rain was just sideways. And so the chairman of deacons called me and I said, let's, let's meet at the church before it gets too bad. And we met at the church at 8 o'clock that morning and called off service. You know the name of that hurricane? Emily. <laughs> I kid you not. We learn to prepare based on what's happened in the past, Right? And listen, this whole idea of tearing down statues and all this stuff. I'm going to tell you something. If we fail to learn from our history, we're doomed to repeat it. Doomed to repeat it. That's why there's so much reconstruction. Look, what is Abraham and Sarah famous for? A hundred years old. A hundred. I'm just over half that. And I don't want any more kids. I can't deal with the two I've got. But it was a son of promise. And Isaac was that son. What is he famous for? Besides being that. But where's his act of faith? You remember this is a hall of faith. You remember he went up that mountain as the sacrifice. Yes, we talk about, oh, how Abraham may have been overwhelmed in the thought of having to give up his own son. But let me tell you something. Isaac was not a toddler. Isaac was old enough to speak and to know. You remember what he said? He said, Dad, I see the altar. I see the wood. Where's the sacrifice? But he trusted his father. And if I read the scripture correctly, Abraham was at the point literally of raising his hand over his son. And Isaac didn't get up and run. God used him. Jacob, whose other name is Israel. Moses, Joshua, Rahab. Think about Rahab. Some of you say, yeah, I can't do anything. I can't serve in church. You don't know what I've done. You don't. Listen, Rahab was, can I, can I just say it? Rahab was a hooker. That's our term today. She worked in what they called the oldest business known to man. Yet God changed her heart and God used her to save and protect the spies that Moses had sent. We see, oh, by the way, she's in the lineage of Jesus. God has a plan for your life, church. Hebrews 11, 35, 37 says they were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings, scourgings. Yeah, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, sawn asunder, or cut in half. I believe Isaiah 
was sawed in half. They were tempted, slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. As for us, verse 4 in chapter 12 reminds us that we have not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed like our witnesses in chapter 11. Now, if we are to develop endurance in times like these, we must focus on our examples. The first examples are the witnesses we've talked about in chapter 11, but the second example is far superior to the first. He said, looking, verse 2, looking unto Jesus. You can't pray in Jesus' name. Y'all talk too much about Jesus. It's God, God, God. No Jesus, no Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. I say it almost every sermon. There is no other name under heaven whereby ye must be saved. Jesus said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Listen, I used to pray in Jesus' name, amen, growing up because that's what I heard my mom and daddy do. But as I grew and I was born again by the blood of Jesus, he come down and forgave me of my sins, saved me to the uttermost, and I began to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I understood, especially after reading Hebrews, that I can't pray without Jesus carrying my prayer to the Father. It don't get there. It just don't. Now, whether it's the intent of your heart or whether you say it out loud, you need to understand no man approaches the throne of God boldly without Jesus. For he is our mediator. He is our advocate. He is our propitiation. So it's a, the example is Jesus. Sure, the witnesses are... Great example of endurance, but we cannot fathom what Jesus endured. He is the ultimate example of endurance. Think about it. He endured the cross, right? He endured the shame. He was king of Jews. Those were his people. His own disciples ran and hid. He endured the pain. The Bible tells us that he felt every ounce of that pain. Every nerve ending screaming, writhing in pain. As every blood drop fell from our Savior. He endured the betrayals, denials from so-called friends. He endured lies and accusations. He endured the injustice from the court systems. Listen, don't give up. Jesus is our example. He endured the pain of having his own father turn his face away. Now remind me again what you're having to endure. I just can't make it, preacher. I just can't make it. Jesus endured. We will endure if we understand God's purpose in chastisement. He said in chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, for the sake of time, I'll not read it, but he tells us, my son despised not the chastening of the Lord, 
nor faint when thou art rebuked by him. America has and is experiencing the chastening hand of God. The church of the living God is experiencing it. And it is likely to continue if not intensify. Can I tell you something? You can't murder 60 million babies and not pay the price. You can talk tax cuts all you want. But the people who's supposed to be paying the taxes that would have us completely solve it, we murdered. In the name of choice. We cannot continue to pervert God's word, dodge God's will, and expect God to bless us. We can... We can stand on every football field and sing to our heart's content. God bless America. But I've got news for you. Strong and mighty and holy hand of God will fall like hailstones if we don't get our hearts right and start crying at the top of our voice, come to Jesus. And you know, the sad thing is the church can't tell the world come to Jesus because we act like we don't know him. There's two kinds of atheism. There's intellectual atheism that declares there is no God. And then there's practical atheism, which is practiced most by churchgoers who goes out into the world and acts like there's no God. Please, If you're going to go out and talk like the world, act like the world, smell like the world, please don't tell anybody you're a member at Eastside Baptist Church. Please, I beg you. The Bible says out of the same mouth cannot come blessing and cursing. God has a plan in chastisement. You say, but I don't understand, Pastor. It's just not fair that those who are innocent are being punished alongside the guilty. Can I break the news to you? There are none righteous. No, not one. You you just don't know, though. What about those people in in Houston that go to church and pay their time? We were all born in sin, church. Listen, I was born again in 1972, but you know what? I still live in the same robe of sinful flesh I was born in the first time. That which is saved with the rebirth is sealed by the Holy Spirit. And when this body dies because of sin, my spirit will be transformed into the very presence of a holy God. See, we get that meshed up and all intertwined. There is none because the Word of God separates the bone from the marrow, the spirit from the flesh, and we need to understand there's none innocent. So the next time you get on your high horse and look down your nose at something, you just remember there's something in your life they don't know about. There's none innocent. Listen, chastening molds and shapes us into the people God wants us to be. Is it fair that those who are innocent, as we've said, is being guilty, uh, being punished? Well, yes, because the purpose of chastening is not to harm us, 
but to help us. Chastening brings about fruits of peace. It trains us in holiness. The Bible says, and hear this, what's the verse that we always quote about chastening our children? What do we always quote? Spare the rod, what? Spoil the child. But you know there's another one that's much like that, but much stronger language. We don't use it because of one word. But it's in your Bible. It starts the same way. He that spareth the rod hates his child. God said, Jesus said in Revelation and throughout Scripture, I love you. That's why I chasten you. I remember that, that story. And listen, my daddy kind of favors Andy Griffin in a lot of ways and acts a lot, got a lot of the same morals. Andy Griffin have to do a little bit more to meet up to where my dad's standards are. But I can assure you there's one thing my daddy never said, Andy Griffin said. Andy Griffin looked at Opie. I remember, you know, when Opie one time shasted somebody out of some money over ice cream or a bird, or not bird was something else, but over ball gloves, some roller skates or something. And I remember Andy got on him hard. And he told him this. He said, Opie, son, this is going to hurt me more than it hurt. I'm going to tell you, my daddy never told me that. My daddy has never told No, my daddy said, this is going to hurt you a lot worse than it's going to hurt me. But it breaks my heart to have to. I don't know about you, but as a parent, the act that calls into question the need for chastisement is not nearly as bad for me as a parent as having to issue that chastisement. I get mad at them for that more than what they actually did. Y'all with me? It breaks my heart. Well, you know what? Jesus loves a whole lot better than I can. What do you think it does to him when he looks down and says, I got to do something? Do you know that's why there's so many languages? Tower of Babel. You know that's why it flooded? Sin. God had to do something about it. Do you know that's why he sent down the law with Moses to show us we can't be good? You know, that's ultimate. Every time it waxed worse and worse and worse and worse. And then Jesus came. It trains us. God's chastening upon our nation will purify the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're in this country. It's for our benefit. Now, in times like these, God is not only teaching us that we must exhibit endurance, but we must lay aside anything that holds us back. Isn't that what he said? Let us lay aside the sin that does so easily weight us down that we may run. Two things are mentioned that holds us back. First of all, weights. Weights are things that slow us down. Now, in, in the sports world, there's these weighted donuts that you can put on a, a bat and swing or you know, I've seen someone take two or three golf clubs to want, but you can't swing when you start playing with two or three golf clubs. You don't go get in the batter's box with a donut still on your bat. You wear ankle 
weights. A lot of athletes and runners will wear ankle weights for that extra in, uh, resistance. But when it's time and they shoot the gun and it's time to run, you take all that stuff off so that you may be freed from that weight. Listen, what is it weighing us down? What is it? Is it the guilt of past forgiven sins? And you're still saying, oh, but I did this. And oh, I, I love this. I, I quoted it to somebody this week. Don't let past sins that are under the blood affect your future. Stop. Stop. Oh, but I just don't believe it. Listen, do you believe God, God, God is, is, is God? Now, this is true. Do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God, without sin, without reproach, born of a virgin, died on the cross for our sins? Do you believe He died for all sin? Then if you're born again, you're an arrogant, self-centered child of God, not to cast your cares and burdens on Him, knowing He's already died for that sin. Stop picking it up. Lay it not in an arrogance of saying, oh, I can go live any way I want. No, we go forward not in the bondage of sin, not in the freedom to sin, but the freedom from sin. For where sin did abound, so much more did grace. That's freeing when you get it. Had an affair, put it under the blood. Listen, got fired from a job for cheating, stealing, put it under the blood. Got a DUI, put it under the blood. Drug abuse, put it under the blood. Homosexuality, put it under the blood. And move on with the glory of Jesus. Now, I, I, I don't want to upset you, but I'm going to tell you the truth now. God can save a child molester. God can save a rapist. God can save the worst adulterer. Case in point, David and Paul. He can save the dregs of society. Peter, Rahab. He can save the demonic, worldly, possessed, Gadarene demoniac, Gergesene demoniac, those who are literally possessed with the devil. Jesus is bigger, isn't he? He is our example. Listen, in addition to the weight that holds us back, that weight of guilt, of an unforgiving spirit, what, what is it that you need to put under the blood and say, God, Help me forgive them. And bitterness. And bitterness. Some of us, we don't grow old, we grow bitter. You know, you've been around old people that just, I'm old, I can be bitter if I want to. Just smell old. You know, somewhere between camphophonique and mothballs. 
just smell old. Car smells old, the house smells old, everything about it smells old. They're just bitter, mean old people. Y'all laughing because you know somebody like that. Don't be like that. Be pleasant. You know the ones that we grow up and we talk about that we went to church? Not the mean old men. It's the one that had gum and candy for us when we were kids. Right? Be sweet. That's what my mom always told me. Don't be, just be sweet, son. Just be sweet. Mama, I don't want to be sweet. Yeah, but you need to be sweet. And I'd complain about some old bitter person. My mom would say, bless their heart, they're just old. <laughs> oh, mama. Mama, if you watch this, I don't see no camera. Hey, mama. And then, not only are we taken back by the weight, but sin. The Bible tells us there's the sin of omission. It's just laziness. You're not doing what God's called you to do. And please don't tell, tell me that what you're doing is the ministry God's called you to do because it's your ability or because it's something you want to do. A lot of times what God calls you to do is, number one, it's not your natural ability. And number two, it's not what you want to do. Now, sometimes it is. And if you're absolutely satisfied before a holy God, that's what it is, then roll with it. But if it's not, do what God's called you to do. Don't live in the sin of omission. And then the sin of commission. That's being disobedient to any of God's commands. It, it, it's trespassing. It literally means to cross the line. It, it literally means to shoot an arrow and miss the target, to miss the mark. Sin, listen to me today. If you're lost without God, you're not running a race. You've never even started. If you're lost without the blood of Jesus Christ having been applied to your life because of your unbelief or your unwillingness, today's the day you can be saved. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says today is the day of salvation. Can I tell you this past week in a, in a situation I didn't expect to share the gospel, in a, in a situation I didn't even want to be in, I found myself face to face with someone that God said, tell them about me. And so I said, God, how, which direction here? Because I'm in a situation I don't want to be in. Where, bottom line is the, the communication started, and what I heard was, well, I'm saved. Because I said, are you born again? I didn't say, or, do you go to church? I said, are you born again? Have you been saved by the blood of Jesus is the exact words I said. They said, well, yeah. When I was little at Eastside, were you pastor?" I said, really? You Praise the Lord. You came to the Lord. And she said, well, no, not really. I just went because other kids did. I said, so you're telling me that if you die today, you're going to die and go to hell. And this person looked me square in the eyes and said, yes. Now, here's where the lesson gets really interesting. This person 
is living in an unconfessed sin. When I, I asked the person this, I said, can you give me one good reason why you would not pray and confess your sins? You've already told me. The Bible says if you believe it in your heart and confess it to him with your mouth, you will be saved. Can you tell me a good reason why you wouldn't be saved right now? This person said, no, but I'm living in this sin. And I know enough to know that I can't just go back to that sin and the Lord saved me. I said, you know what? You know more than most Christians do. We justify our sin. We say, oh, I'm saved. I can live any kind of way I want. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And we start trying to change the culture or the culture starts trying to change us. And we start the church looking more like the world, the world looking more like the church. And it's all mingled in. There's no separation. There's no peculiarity. This person lost, knew better. I said, you're right. The Bible says if you regard iniquity in your heart, God will not hear you. I said, so here's the deal. You've got a choice to make. A, you can continue in that sin and die and go to hell. You can choose that that sin is more important than living in the eternal life Jesus Christ died for. Or you can forsake that sin, pray for forgiveness of that sin, and be saved. And that person said, I know. I know. And I prayed that they'll come. And they said they're going to make the attempt that they were going to be out of town this weekend, but we're praying that they come. And listen, it's a parent. It's a children. It's an adult that knows. And oh, what a life that could be lived. If they lay aside that sin. Listen, I want to finish. Not only. Not only are we to exhibit endurance. And lay aside anything that is holding us back. But we ought to rejoin the race. Some of us have gotten out. We've grown discouraged by our age, by a physical malady, by problems that have come in our lives. Things that are completely out of our control. Can I break the news to you? Nothing's in your control. Huh? I've heard people say, oh, at a better time I'll be saved. You don't choose the time. God chooses you. There is, unlike Felix and Agrippa, there is no better way to be persuaded. There is no better convenient time than today. We must rejoin the race. Listen, in times like these, many people are tempted to quit. What's the purpose? More ministers are quitting the gospel. Church members are quitting. Listen, we're running from everything and anyone. We don't have that option. Even though times are difficult and may in fact get worse, we must endure. There's no 90-day return guarantee on that baby you bring from the house, bring home from the hospital, is it? When they hit the terrible twos or torturous threes,
when they hit the traumatizing teens. They're still your kids. And you still are their parent. Whether you and look, some people says I ain't gonna deal with it, and they run off. Daddy's run off, mama's run off. Can I tell you, God's never left us. He's never forsook us. And we must not forsake him. We must get back in the battle. Jesus told the church at Ephesus. Revelation, remember from whence thou art fallen and repent. If you have quit or backed off or even thought about it, here's how you can rejoin the race. You hear me real quick. I want to give you three things. First of all, he said in verse 12, we need to straighten up. That's what my daddy always told me. Wherefore, lift up your hands which hang down and the feeble knees. My mother, you can ask Becky, she, my mother's big on posture. She'll be like, Hold them shoulders back. Well, you, you do what? Mama say, sit up straight, son. We weren't allowed to slouch. We didn't eat at the supper table like this. They's like, you ain't cavemen. Sit up. You didn't wear a hat. You didn't sing. And you wore a sleeved shirt to the table. He said, you were not raised by wolves. But I can sure make you howl like one. Now sit up. Aubrey's a trip now. Sit up. Hold your shoulders back. I'm going to tell you. Now you think I, this is stupid. You think it's a waste of time. You listen to me young people. Walk into that interview like this. With some shirt you ain't ironed. Your pants was tucked up under the seat of your car. And say, yeah, and huh. And I can promise you, oh boy, they're going to hire you. If you're applying at McDonald's, and there's nothing bad about working at McDonald's. Matter of fact, they need some folks at the one in Millen. I stopped there this week. Oh, my goodness. How do you leave eggs off a bacon egg and with cheese McGriddle? Anyway. Makes my point. Straighten up. Listen, the picture of the weary man in verse 12, he wasn't in the race. He's all just bent over, broken down by the weight that does so easily beset us. Is that you? How can we straighten up? Worship, prayer, personal devotion time. Share your faith with someone else. I mean, you can't stay depressed when you start telling people about how Jesus can save, save them because you're reminded of how Jesus saved you. Amen. You tired of being mad at somebody? Pray for them. You can't, you can't stay mad at somebody and pray for them. You cannot do it. It is impossible. Remember those little magnet toys? And they made that sound, you know, little egg-shaped things. It was a big hit. You know? I'm like, you know, 12 seconds, and like, what else can it do? Can you ride it? Can you crank it? Will it cut? I mean, yeah, and throw it through a window or something, but it's just two magnets. And, but you know, there's a certain way, and we, every one of you, if you've had them, if you've been around, y'all did the same thing. You tried to make the opposite polarity go together. 
We always do it because it's, it's that force. And it's, we, we find that really cool. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Sin and righteousness will not stick together. It will always flip. It will always push the sin aside when we stand in the righteousness that is Jesus Christ. And then we need to get plugged into ministry and serve others. Number two, we need to step up. He said in verse 13, make straight paths for your feet. Make straight paths. We need to step up. By first, receiving healing. Verse 4, choosing, uh, 14, ver- choosing peace, receiving holiness. And finally, we ought to look up. He said, verse 15, look diligently. Looking diligently at Jesus, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Church, if you will look diligently at the Savior, there will be no root of bitterness springing up. And making you want to faint. Stop looking around and start looking up. We need to only glance at the world, but we need to cast our gaze upon Jesus. Exhibit endurance. Lay aside the things that hold us back. and Get back in the race. Eastside needs you. And Jesus can use you. So in closing as they come. In times like these, we have learned that we must exhibit endurance. We need to focus on our examples of the witness of Jesus. Understand that God's chastening benefits us. Next, we must learn to lay aside the weights and the sin that is dragging us down. Many churches and people have been slowed to a halt because of weight and sin. And finally... Friends, if you have paused, if you have quit, or even just in your heart wanted to, God wants you to rejoin the race today. In times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, we need a friend. Be sure, church, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Listen, straighten up, step up, and look up to Jesus. For in Him, you'll find salvation, strength, hope, joy, everlasting. What is it you need to cast at His feet today? Just come and spiritually unbuckle the weight. This altar can take as much as you want to bring. Because it's his altar, not mine. What is it you need to come give to Jesus? Relationship, job, money, whatever it is, emotional, friendships, school, sport, whatever it is, come lay the weight at Jesus' feet. In times like these, stand and come.